Well, it's really great to see you all here this morning. Um, welcome. My name is Sarah, and together with my husband, Jeremiah, we are the campus pastors here at Kiwi2. Um, or as Charlie, who is out at Life Kids, like to call us, um, Sarahmeyer. So take your pick. We'll pretty much answer to anything, so, you know, but be kind. Um, well, it's really cool that you have chosen uh, to come to church today. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, uh, we've been talking about making ourselves available to God, um, about persistently putting ourselves in situations where we expect to encounter God uh, and taking time to focus on God so we're able to shine his light and not get dimmed by things going on around us. You know, and gathering together in the house of the Lord to worship and pray and fellowship, you know, that's really powerful stuff. You know, those are some incredible tools that we've been given to help us on this journey. So, welcome. You know, I really pray that you will be blessed this morning. It's going to be good. Now, me and Jeremiah, we run a young adults life group. Uh, And one thing that we're doing at the moment uh, is reading through the book of John together. And we read a chapter a week. We've each got a, a journal that has the scripture on one side and then a blank page on the other. And every time we get together... Even if it's just for a few minutes, we go around and we talk about it, um, about what stood out to us, if we have any questions or wonderings, um, that kind of thing. And just as an offside, if you don't currently have anyone that you regularly just talk about the Bible with, I really encourage you to find somebody and get into the habit of reading and talking. You know, it doesn't have to be a formal study, just read things, think about them, and just tell somebody about it. You know, bring, it up what you've, bring up what you've been reading when you're having coffee with a friend. Um, it really is very, very valuable. Anyway, so last week um, we were reading in John, we were up to chapter 5, and one of the stories that is told is about the invalid who was healed by the gates of Jerusalem. And Jesus heals the man, tells him to get up and walk, it's amazing. Then Jesus just kind of disappears into the crowd And later he does find the man again, uh, and he says to him, go and stop sinning. And one of the girls at Life Group posed the question, wasn't that just like a little much pressure to put on a person? You know, like, isn't Jesus kind of setting him up to fail? And I just thought it was a really interesting thought, and I, I do think it makes us think. You know, especially as we are still on this side of Jesus' second coming, You know, we're stuck in a broken world. It's ravaged by sin. You know, most of us in this room have had an encounter with Jesus. We've been saved, and now we know we are called to holiness, you know, to right living. But we also know that that's impossible for us on our own. And that can be a really hard place to navigate. And so it got me thinking about what holiness actually means for us. And so I start with a question. Bear with me with this. Who here consider themselves to be musical? Show of hands. Who's like, yeah, I'm pretty musical. Okay, a few of you. Raise your hand if you think that you can clap in time. I heard some pretty good clapping during worship. I'm like, not too bad. All right, we're going to try something. All right, I'm going to sing a note, and I want you to see if you can match the note. Okay, so I'm going to sing, I'm going to do this, and you guys all need to try and hit the same note. Are you ready? <coughs> Excuse me. La. La. Guys, that was not bad. It was not bad at all. All right. <coughs> what about la la la? La la la. 
Meg. I think most of you can probably say you're musical. That was not bad at all. Now, I do personally consider myself to be reasonably musical. I certainly have a great love of music. Um, and this morning, I actually wanted to share with you one of my favourite video clips. So, uh, please put your attention up there and enjoy. I've been having a problem recently, which is quite disturbing musicalically, involving a semi-tonal discrepancy, vocally and instrumentally. You see musicians of different varieties prefer playing in particular keys, and singers too treat preferentially those notes they tackle more proficiently. Now, you don't have to be a member of Mensa to understand the depth of my dilemma. The two elements of me favor two different keys, thus the rift betwixt my fingers and my tenor. I like nothing more than playing instruments in F. It warms the very cockles of my heart. The trouble is that F can leave me vocally bereft, you see. I like playing in F major I like singing in F sharp F sharp F sharp I refuse to be beholden to my hands I don't see why my larynx should give in to their demands I'll not be forced to compromise my art so I'll just keep playing in F major and singing in F sharp F sharp F sharp I'll keep playing in F major But I'll keep singing in F sharp me every single time no matter how many times I watch it and the reason I wanted to show it to you is not only because I think it's hilarious uh, and very clever it is hard to sing that like just out of tune um, but I do actually think it's quite a helpful illustration you see whether you're musical or not when he hits that note that doesn't belong in that key you notice you know you feel it, it makes you go Ooh. Um, it's uncomfortable and it, it just doesn't fit and I think that that can kind of be an analogy for our lives. You see, when we become followers of Jesus, that's kind of like us picking the key um, for our lives. You know, as Christians, we're called to live in a certain way. We're given a set of parameters which we are to live within. And the Bible is filled with instructions for how God desires us to live. But, you know, sometimes, and I would even say oftentimes, through our choices, you know, our actions, our words, our attitudes, we miss that mark and we hit a note that just doesn't belong. You know, we mess up, or to give it uh, biblical language, we sin. You know, how we are called to live and how the world would have us live are two very different keys, to stick with that analogy. And that brings us back to this idea of holiness and how does that work for followers of Jesus today. Now, holiness is a uh, biblical word that means unique and set apart. And when we talk about God's holiness, we're not just talking about you know, him being morally perfect, although that is part of it, but we're using it as a way to describe God's character, you know, as the most unique, powerful, beautiful, good being in all of the universe. You know? He's the creator of all of it. 
And as people who have believed in Jesus and been forgiven of our sins and brought into a relationship with the Father, we also are called to that kind of holiness. In 1 Peter um, chapter 1, verse 16, it says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. You know, and at this point, I'm agreeing with the girl in my life group that it does seem like a pretty big ask. You know, be holy as God is holy. Like, do you know how holy he is? Like, he invented the whole concept. And I thought about it, and I realized that I think there's a couple of ways that sometimes we might respond when we hear this call to be holy in our Christian walk. You know, when it comes to living our lives after we've accepted Christ. And I just wanted to look briefly at a couple of different ways today. And I think probably most of us have experienced a season um, of both of these responses. And, uh, you know, it's good just to kind of re-examine ourselves again from time to time and see if maybe, you know, we're starting to demonstrate some of these. So the first response um, I think that we can have, I've actually called torment, which is a strong word, but um, hopefully I'll kind of go through it a bit. So to help explain it, I'm actually going to borrow the words of Paul, which we find in Romans 7, starting at verse 15. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man am I. As well as being like a little bit of a tongue twister, <laughs> uh, you can actually kind of I, you know, feel that anguish and the torment in those words. You know, He knows what he should be doing, and yet he finds that he cannot do it. You know, he knows what notes you, know, you should be hitting, and yet you find you're doing it wrong. And I've read those words a lot in my life and um, really resonated with them. You know, I've asked myself over and over, why would I fall into that temptation again when I know better? You know, I thought I had walked through this and yet here I am again. And I think sometimes that we can almost get a little overwhelmed by our own unholiness. You know, when all you start to hear is the wrong notes that you are playing. And so you live in the state of discomfort and guilt and shame that you weren't able to achieve the perfection which you've been called to. You know that, you know that Jesus has saved you, so why do you feel like you're constantly battling to stay within that grace? You know what you should have done or what you shouldn't have done, and it weighs heavily on you. You know, at the end of the passage that we uh, just read from Romans, when Paul is agonizing over wanting to do good but being unable to, he concludes it with, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You know, the answer is Jesus. You know, this is church. Isn't the answer always supposed to be Jesus? <laughs> but like, seriously, I think there are times when instead of rejoicing in the cross and living in that freedom which was bought for us, you know, and enjoying the richness of being able to be in a relationship with God, we do, we bring our attention down, we focus our eyes on the earthly things and we get stuck looking at that guilt and that shame and we live in that state of torment. You know, if you go back to the Old Testament... You know, they had it a lot harder um, in some ways. Uh, And you see, it is dangerous to be in the presence of God uh, because there's this paradox at the heart of God's own holiness um, because if you are impure, then his presence is dangerous to you. And it's not because it's bad, it's because it's so good, you know, that it can't be um, in the presence of the impurity. And the first time we come across uh, this paradox of God's holiness is in the story of Moses and the burning bush in Exodus 3. You've probably heard the story. You know, God appears to Moses in a burning bush and he tells Moses to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And Moses covers his face in fear and God instructs him not to come any closer. You know, it's a dangerous situation. And this kind of intensity of God's holiness is explored even more uh, in stories about Israel's temple, which was the main place where God's holy presence was located. And at the center of the temple was the Holy of Holies, or the most holy place. And it was sort of the hot spot of God's presence. And whether you were just an Israelite who was living in the land around the temple or a priest actually working in the temple, uh, in order to survive being that close, you needed to become pure. You know, and the Bible speaks about uh, two types of purity, being morally pure, which is where things like the Ten Commandments um, come in, but also being ritually pure, which is the state where you separate yourself from anything related to death, like touching diseased skin or dead bodies or even certain body fluids, things like that. And they had a whole system set up to help you achieve this purity so that you were then able to enter in and be close to the presence of God. And later in the scriptures, we find a really interesting story um, with a prophet named Isaiah. And Isaiah has this vision where he's in the temple and he's right in God's presence and he is absolutely terrified uh, because he knows those rules. He knows those rules about purity and he knows that he shouldn't be in that place. And he's worried about being destroyed. And then a seraphim flies over with a hot coal that's been taken from the altar. And he touches the coal to his lips and he sears Isaiah's lips with the coal and says, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for. So this burning coal uh, has made Isaiah pure so he's able to be in that presence. And what's significant about this is normally it would work that if you touch something impure then it transfers its impurity to you. Whereas Isaiah, um, this new idea was introduced that you had this coal, this very holy and pure object, and instead, when it touches Isaiah, it transforms, sorry, it transfers its purity to him. See, it's going the other way. And Isaiah is not destroyed by God's holiness, he's actually transformed by it. And the implications of that were huge. 
And there's another story um, uh, which we find in the Old Testament as well, this time from another prophet called Ezekiel. And he has this vision where he's standing at the temple and he sees water trickling out from it. And then that water turns into a stream and then it grows into a deep river that starts flowing through the desert, leaving this trail of green trees behind it. And then it flows into the Dead Sea, making everything fresh and alive. And so again, instead of first things becoming pure and then going into the temple, it's this is God's holiness coming out of the temple and making things pure and bringing them to life. Now, and at the time, they didn't really know what you know, these all meant. And it doesn't make that much sense until we meet Jesus. And he claims that he is fulfilling all of these ancient visions. <coughs> and this is where it gets really cool. And this is why you know, I really wanted to share this with you is that Jesus, he went around touching people who are impure. You know, people with skin diseases, the lepers, the woman with chronic bleeding, dead people. And according to everything the Jewish people knew, when he touched them, their impurity should have transferred over to Jesus. But instead, Jesus' purity transferred to them and actually healed their bodies. You know, Jesus is like that holy coal in Isaiah's vision. When we come into contact with Jesus, he imparts to us his holiness. And furthermore, we are given the Holy Spirit to continue this work and help us live as God intends. You know, we are made pure through his blood shed on the cross. So we are able, instead of looking down and staying sat in the guilt and the shame of sin, to boldly enter the presence of God and enjoy life alongside a spirit. You know, this is huge. You know, it it should be the goal of every Christian to sin no more. Although we recognize that while we're in the flesh, while we're still here on earth, we will stumble, you know? We'll hit the wrong note every now and again. But when we fail, we can come to God and ask forgiveness. And if we're truly God's children, you know, he will correct us, disciplining us when we need it. But his work is to conform us into the image of his son, to make us holy as he is holy. In Romans 8, 5, it says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. You know, and that really is the the good news of the gospel, that the work is already done. You know, we are made right, we are set apart simply because of Jesus. Instead of us needing to be pure first through being morally good or ritually clean, you know, of living great lives, of us getting things sorted... Jesus has actually already imparted this holiness onto us when we call on his name. And his holiness is such that it can't be made unclean by what we've done. You know, this doesn't mean that uh, we just get to go out and do whatever we want, which actually leads me to the other response that I think sometimes we can have. And I think this one is uh, a bit more subtle. Uh, It's actually the opposite um, of torment, and that is of apathy. There's a quote by A.W. Tozer, which says, Until we have seen ourselves as God sees us, we are not likely to be much disturbed over conditions around us, as long as they do not get so far out of hand as to threaten our comfortable way of life. We have learned to live with unholiness and have come to look upon it as the natural and expected thing. I get really challenged by that, you know. We're not likely to be much disturbed over conditions around us until they affect our comfort. 
And I think to me, basically, what he's saying is sometimes we settle. You know, in the words of um, Tim Minchin, we'll keep playing in one key and we'll keep singing in another. And I do think this is one response that sometimes we kind of find ourselves in. You know, apathy. We're just a little apathetic to the whole sin situation. We know that we've been saved, and in some ways we've actually taken it for granted. You know, we know perfection is a goal too far off this side of eternity. I don't think we necessarily always, you know, consciously um, do this as a conscious decision, but actually we just kind of get stuck in our ways. You know, we let old habits and ways of doing things creep in. We don't allow ourselves to fully understand sin and its implications and its impacts on us. You know, it's easier just to know that we are saved and get on with life. But by getting stuck in that way of thinking and living, not only do we often get stuck with those areas of persistent sin, I think we actually start to diminish the power of grace. Because if sin isn't such a big deal, you know, then the grace that Jesus showed by dying on the cross for us maybe isn't that big a deal either. You know, and it, it is uncomfortable work. You know, in First Peter um, chapter 2, it says, um, it comes after the one we read earlier where it calls us to be holy. It goes on to list some of the things that we may need to get rid of. It says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You know, and I look at that list and I go, what about just no murdering people? You know, I'm good at that one. No, that's pretty straightforward. I can do that. But, you know, are there areas of your life where you're turning a blind eye? Do you have some areas of hypocrisy? You know, do you say you love all people, but actually you've got a few exceptions? You know? There's some people that they don't count because they're hard work. You know, are there things that you, you know, which you publicly you would never do, but privately you let yourself get away with? You know, a really powerful prayer that we can pray is, search my heart, God. You know, and it's scary, but it's powerful because we need to be willing to allow the Spirit to continue to refine us and to correct us and to purify us. You know, it's not that we need to remain drenched in guilt and shame and to live in torment about not getting it right. But it's also not that we dismiss or forget that the wages of sin are death. You know, we need to keep Jesus at the center. You know, the key and the balance of those responses are found in him. I'm actually going to invite the, the band up again. Um, and I'd love to pray for us, and we're actually just going to open up some space now uh, for us to sit with God. And uh, uh, if you've never accepted Jesus as your saviour, you know you've never repented and asked for his forgiveness, maybe that's what you'd like to do this morning and this time. You know, you can be made pure and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I guarantee you, it will transform your entire life. You know, nothing will ever be the same again after. And if you do already know God, you know, then this is a time just to be immersed in his presence again. You know, maybe you have been holding on to some guilt or some shame, and you actually need to allow that to be taken from you. Or maybe you need to ask God to search your heart 
as things have become, begun to sort of sneak in that require some correction. So we're going to, um, if you're able, please stand with me. You know, we're going to pray, and then we're actually just going to sit in this time of worship. And I encourage you to really, you know, cry out to God. You know, spend some time sitting in His presence and allow Him to speak to you again. Father God, we are so astounded by your love for us. Lord, that you came up with this crazy plan where you yourself came down to earth as Jesus to die on a cross, to shed your blood uh, as the um, eternal sacrifice, Lord, that we're able to uh, plead the blood of Jesus, to call on your name, to uh, repent and be forgiven, and then we are able to be made pure and come into your presence. And we thank you, Jesus, for that. And we welcome you here this morning and we say thank you. And Lord, for uh, those of us who uh, we know you, Lord, but we still carry the guilt and the shame um, of things that we've done, of of the mess that um, has been in our lives. God, we just ask that again, you would come and you would uh, show us your grace, Lord. I pray that for everyone here who is holding on to some of those burdens, Lord, would you allow them to lay them at your feet? Lord, we know that uh, your burden is light. Lord, we know that you've come to give us um, freedom and life in its fullness. You haven't come to condemn us. And so I just pray that that would be their experience this morning, that as they sit with you, Lord, that you would speak truth over them, that chains that maybe still bind them would be broken in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray um, for us who... Lord, may have been on this journey for a while and uh, things have started to maybe creep in again. God, we just again open up ourselves up to you and say, Lord, search our heart. Holy Spirit, would you come in and would you correct and would you refine and would you illuminate things that need to be dealt with? And so, Lord, we commit this time to you and we just say, Lord, have your way in this place. May your will be done.